the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome into another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Brandon Kravitz here, along with the money man himself, Mike Janetti. A big day in the business of SpotTrack.com. Any special plans for trade deadline day in the NBA? Do you have like a, a spread that you lay out? Do you have like a war room? I'm, I'm just picturing <laughs> like a full-blown setup, like you're yep. a CIA agent. Yeah, we are. We're remote mostly, so we have uh, we have a couple guys on call here for sure. In terms of just following the Woj bombs, <laughs> not that we've had any yet, but uh, you know the data input guys are are at the ready and willing. Let's put it that way. I, I think we'll get something significant, um, and then we have Keith Smith, who literally tracks down you know every single trade and then writes ten thousand word <laughs> recaps in about four minutes so yeah uh that's not something we're used to around here you know that kind of like instant reaction and it's outstanding so uh if you are, if you care about any of these trades whether they're big or small keith is going to be all over it pretty much immediately yeah we were uh we were talking about keith smith and some of the reporting that he did on window carter jr and the magic and their reluctancy to trade him away yesterday on my radio show so uh keith certainly does a tremendous job. Now, I don't want to get too heavy into it since a lot of this could become antiquated rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, do you expect this to be an active trade deadline? It doesn't seem so. You know, it doesn't seem like even the, the people that cover this stuff for a living, you know, the, the vibes I'm getting from them aren't exactly, you know, that like we're building up to something big. You know, <laughs> the fact that LeBron rumors have been thrown around for two weeks kind of leads me to believe that there's really nothing to hold some substance to. Now, look, you want to tell me that a couple of notable sixth men get moved around here? I could see that happening. That's generally how things operate. But I don't think we're going to have that big splashy news headline tomorrow where somebody's somebody's season has changed dramatically because of the move they made this, uh, this afternoon and, and, and to further that, and this won't be antiquated, Brandon, uh, one of the most important things we do each year is kind of monitor the money this time of year to understand which teams may have to make a move so that they clean house by, by April, by May, when the tax bill becomes due. I don't even see a situation where that's going to become apparent, right? Like, like the Lakers and the 76ers and the heat are the fringe tax teams right now. They're not gonna. They're not gonna tax dump. You know what I mean? If anything, those are teams that are adding right now. Maybe you could talk me into Philadelphia because of the situation with Embiid. You know, maybe do they actually move on from Tobias Harris? I don't think so. He's going to be integral to them maintaining any kind of semblance in the East here. So, not even the money is screaming that something gigantic should happen. So, what it's going to come down to is: is a team with a massive amount of assets, right? That's Orlando. That's Oklahoma City. To some degree, it could be Sacramento here and Portland who have piled up some picks here, here with some big trades over the off seasons. Are they going to come in and try to reset their situation now versus the off season? And I don't think that's going to be the case. Oklahoma City should. They really shouldn't be resting on their laurels. And I expect them to do something over the next six to eight hours here. But for the most part, I just don't see any of these big headline teams making a big headline move. Which is interesting because you do have a number of teams that have all the assets in the world to get a deal done. Uh, It's certainly something we've been covering here in Orlando because you could, if you look at the bank account, so to speak, of what Mm -hmm. they have to to use via trade, it's it's full. And so, if I think fans 
rightfully so get antsy. And you and I have talked about this a lot. The way of the world in the NBA now is that if you want to improve, you really have to do it through the trade market. Free agency is a dying breed in the NBA. With Mm -hmm. that being the case, why wouldn't we see a more active trade deadline? Or is that just the kind of thing that teams want to do in the offseason? You know, so trades are still prevalent, but maybe offseason trades are really where where GMs get busy. Yeah, it has swung more to the offseason. It's it sort of replaced free agency in that regard. You know what I mean? So that instead of July 1st being this big rash of signings, there's some sign and trade action. And then there's just some straight ramp up to the offseason with trades to to kind of garner rights because that's what it's all about. It's not so much about the financials this time of year. It's about do we have rights to a player so that when July 1st comes, we now have decisions and control. Uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one team here, right? I, we have to talk Golden State here in all of these conversations, whether it's today, whether it's in the off season, because the the money is screaming red flags. It's they're minus 41 in the tax, which, which allocates an, a $186 million tax bill right now for, for this upcoming season. And I'm not even sure that they're a play in team, you know? So does that mean that they, they fortify the roster to try to make sure that they at least swing into the playoffs in some degree to justify that kind of money or do they try to subtract the problem with subtracting is the NBA you know trade system requires you to, to basically match the salary so I, I don't know that they can sit here and, and drop that tax bill by more than a couple of million today doing anything significant outside of moving like a Kaminga who has a, a very low cap hit and uh, and that would certainly make them a worse basketball team so that's a team that's, you know, you see the Clippers down there with a $140 million tax bill. They may win the West, you know, right. so that's a very different conversation. But the the literal worst financial team in, in basketball right now has a chance of not making the play-in tournament. And that's a problem for sure. And Steve Kerr gave the team the the old coaching kiss of death saying that this group can be special. Um, so he's, <laughs> I didn't he's hear trying that. to sell them on something that's oh, not a reality man. right now. No, that's brutal. Yeah, I'd like to see something happen. But as you mentioned, as you referenced, generally teams like to take more time with this kind of stuff when we're talking big, splashy stuff. And that's a June situation more than it is a February. I I do think that it's a bit of a mistake if we don't see an overactive, a highlight reel deadline here because of how wide open things can be. There's really only... I mean, the Boston Celtics are the clear-cut favorite in the East. They can be had. They were had last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Western Conference is thick. There's a lot of really good teams, but it's not like there's not these unbeatable juggernauts. So if you're one of those teams that's sitting between four and, say, nine in the standings, now is the time. Strike while the iron is hot, especially in the East. The Sixers lost Joel Embiid. You've got a chance to really move yourself up the ladder um, I think that teams like Miami, Indiana, New York, they've already made their moves. So that might dampen that that headline value of the trade deadline because we have already seen trades. I think that that is probably something that should be mentioned. I'll say this. Um, the Knicks need to do something with Evan Fournier's salary. You know, I, I realize that they've already been successful with the with the OG and Anobi move, and but with, with Randall injured, and that that's TBD. That that is not a situation where they really know when he's going to be back in full force, and they, they already miss him. I've seen a, quite a few of their games, uh, and it's been high impact games against other Eastern Conference rivals. So, I, I do think them finding a creative way to bring in some expiring contracts, 
in, in exchange for that Fournier salary makes a hell of a lot of sense for the Knicks because you're right. If you're a contender in the East, you have to smell blood right now. Milwaukee is absolutely on the down still with Doc involved, right? They're one and four yeah. with Doc as coach. Embiid is done. Uh, you know, and like you said, Boston is kind of the Dak Prescott of the NBA right now. They, they you know, they're going to be great now. You know, they're going to get in with with a decent uh, a decent ranking. But how far are they actually going to go? They're going to go as far as Dak Prescott takes us, and that's as far as we went, right? Right. <laughs> Jerry Jones' famous line. So if I'm the Knicks, I'm not done. If I'm the Heat, no chance I'm done. They look awful right now. So yeah. I, I, I do think those are teams in the four, five, six range of both conferences that should be aggressive. I just don't know that you have the sellers right now, unfortunately. I don't know that you have the sellers. So that was going to be the other question I wanted to throw your way. In order for uh, for buyers to succeed, there have to be notable sellers. Who would that be? Who are the teams that clearly just want to get out of the hmm. player business right now? It's an interesting question. Charlotte should be. Charlotte should be moving on from Miles Bridges. Hell, they should be packaging LaMelo with picks right now. Really, they should. They should be looking to flip this thing over and operate as this is Brandon Miller's team. I, I think you've seen enough of them. You love the kid, I think, coming out of the draft, uh, you know, for the basketball reasons. But yeah. there's, a, there, there's a situation where that could be a, a Brandon Miller team by next season. And why not start right now? You've got assets. You've already moved Rogier. You've got other assets to move. I don't know that Washington has anybody desirable on that roster, but that that's an organization that should not be thinking about basketball players, right? That's they should be thinking about draft picks. And to some degree, I'd include Houston in this. Now Houston has spent, but Houston has a coach now that knows what the heck he's doing. And, and that's new for them, right? That's very yes. new for them. There should be a lot of internal discussions being had right now about who is actually in the three-year plan. Obviously that's, that's happening. And if that means moving a significant name off that roster today, I would be all for it uh, and, and garnering back some draft picks that they can get, you know, some Ime Udoko type players on that roster. They've started the process. They're close. They, they can really make a push over the next six months here and make themselves an impactful roster once again. So those would be the teams I'd identify. <clears throat> but to me, OKC's got to be the starting point or get just do something. You have all the picks in the world. You have a number one roster. Uh, fortify this thing and don't let the, you know, the postseason get you in the butt like so many teams end up having happen. I think maybe part of this is the every sport is a copycat league in its own yeah. right. And we saw the Denver Nuggets win a championship. The Denver Nuggets did it with stability and continuity. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's this thinking out there that that's the new norm in the NBA. That we like OKC is really good right now. And they're and they're scared, even if they have the assets, that if they make a move, they'll ruin that. Maybe that's part of the thinking. Is do you think that factors in at all this time of year? I will say this: if I don't have the data in front of me, I have enough uh, just you know memory of data from what I've been doing here for the past fifteen years. You'll be hard pressed to find a team that has won the championship without making some kind of significant move at this deadline. You're right; Denver's one of them. Um, Denver had the absolute blessing of one of the best six men in all basketball to go with that. They don't have him by the way this year. So that's something to think about. And you know, they're not playing as, as clean a basketball right now either. So generally speaking, a large majority of the best teams in basketball, when we get to June, have somebody on the roster, whether it's via trade or buyout that they didn't have this time of year. So it, 
to sit on your hands is generally not the best process in any of these sports. You know, I'm sitting here saying this in August about baseball teams as well. So I, I would vote for some kind of acquisition right now. And I don't think you can be reckless. I really don't. You don't see teams screw up their season, right? By acquiring somebody right now, they may screw up their financials. And that's for us to kind of clean up and figure out. But I, you know, if I'm the Lakers, Brandon, what, what are we waiting for? You know, you, you have assets that could be moved out here. Not great ones. You're not trading Austin Reeves or LeBron James, right? But if you don't like the way things are going right now, and for the most part, I don't think LeBron does, I feel like we're going to see something off that roster here in the next six to, eight, six to 10 hours. And by, by, by the way, I, I believe in Rob Palenka. I, I think he's done a hell of a job with this really tough situation of having two $50 million players and a lot of egos. And I, I do think that's a team that should be in a better situation right now. And they're not. So there's a lot of teams that could be in, should be in. And, you know, by the time you're listening to this, have probably already made their decisions. But, you know, I don't think it's incorrect for us to give our thoughts here because, uh, like I said, generally speaking, the teams that get to the finish line have done something today. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out Austin Reeves entirely, but the uh, it is amazing. You're right. Uh, I don't think a lot of people give Rob Palinka credit because everybody just assumes LeBron is stroking the checks over there. But can I, throw uh, some, I don't know how more... they still get teams to trade with them. You know, you're right. That might be it. That might be it. And maybe Palinka is just done with listening to LeBron. And I wouldn't blame him for that either uh, at this stage of the game where, like I said, I think he's done a nice job at least writing the ship in a couple of situations. One more thing quickly. Uh, it's not too early for, sac for San Antonio to start thinking about, holy crap, you know, Wembenyana is the guy already. And if they want to make any kind of move today to make that better for next year, nobody's going to complain about that. No, nobody wants them to be great for the rest of the season. We understand what's happening. We understand what the process is there. But they are slightly ruining Wembenyana right now with the way that they run their offense with basically no point guard, no front court. I don't like this at all. And I don't want him to get mentally or physically ruined with this style of play because this is not NBA basketball, you know, and I've seen it a bunch of times now. So if they want to get the ball rolling on, on their 2024 roster today, I'd be all for that. Well, uh, I, yeah. And I'm sure that if not now, then they'll be one of the busiest teams in the mm -hmm. off season. I do need you to say uh, a, a little player, a little prayer, light some incense for me. <laughs> if you need to, I'm going to the arena tonight for magic basketball. They play the Spurs. The Spurs are on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, and this is my first chance to see Wimbenyama. I'm thinking he's not going to play, <laughs> but I haven't seen the official word yet. So if yeah, you're I, listening out there, cross your fingers for me. I would I would be surprised if he plays, Brandon. Yeah, I know. It sucks. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's table that. Make sure you keep up to date. SpotTrack.com. They'll have all the latest, the numbers, the facts, the figures, the work that Keith Smith does. All of that. In the past few days, we've seen some big money thrown around in Major League Baseball. We'll start with Bobby Witt. 11 years, $288 million. How does this contract break down? I think there's more to it than just those figures right there. Well, first of all, it's the biggest contract in Royals history by about $207 million. So uh, it is a brand new day in Kansas City, not just from a football standpoint. Let's put it that way. Uh, by the way, Mahomes owns part of this Royals team. So that's a little fun caveat. So Biggest co uh, contract in franchise history. Um, they don't do this with early early prospect deals. So they are kind of jumping on that bandwagon as well. And by the way, the fact that he agreed to this, Bobby Witt Jr., maybe you know 
two years ago, the number one overall prospect in baseball, the fact that he agreed to this for at least seven years, which is what this is. It's a seven-year contract with four consecutive player opt-outs equally in the, the 11, uh, 11 years. The fact that he, he dug in for seven years with this Royals organization is a really nice show of faith, right? He's given them now a leash to go and build some sort of contending team in the American League. It's easier said than done in these smaller markets. But this is a really good sign for other small market teams who don't get these kind of contracts done. They offer them. They try to do it. They try to go overboard to get these guys to sign. I feel like the compromise that has happened here with seven for 150 and then a bunch of $35 million player options is the way is the way forward for these small markets. So I, it's a template deal. It's a great deal. The, the Royals had their day back in 2017. So you know it's been about 10 years or so since they've been relevant. This could be the start of them now really fortifying this roster and attracting other free agents because that's the other part of this. Now you got this guy to showcase every single offseason, every single trade deadline. Come play with Bobby Wood Jr. He's going to be a five-tool superstar for at least seven years here. It's a really important deal for small markets allowed and the structure of it, four player options, three club options, you know, the works is a really nice template to go forward with. As uh, as somebody who is a fan of parody and wants to see all these markets highlighted, spotlighted and have their chance, their day in the sun. uh, I'm a big fan of this. And we've seen this sort of bubbling over the last couple of years. I think we're we are slowly Seems like we're getting away from the days of it's just the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. Yep. Over the past three years, I'm going to throw some names at you, and you can tell me, pluck out one or two, and see how they compare with Bobby Witt and, and what's going on in Kansas City. Corbin Carroll with the Arizona Diamondbacks, eight years, uh, $111 million. Brian Reynolds with the Pirates. Julio Rodriguez in Seattle, maybe considered a small market. Wander Franco dealing with a ton of legal issues, but signed a big time deal with the Rays who usually don't spend money. Um, Jose Ramirez with Cleveland. Is this sort of in line with some of those names and markets? Yes and no. Uh, to, I, I think when I initially did some analysis on this, I, I did equate it to the Wander Franco contract because you're right. Tampa Bay just doesn't do this. They don't even spend $10 million in any single year on a, on a star pitcher, right? They had to move Blake Snell before that happened. So the Wander contract was was completely groundbreaking there. Now, yeah, it's going to get ripped up and thrown out here in my, in my estimation. But this was round two of that. This was the next iteration of that. Players like Corbin Carroll, uh, they, they lock themselves into so much more, right? There's it, It's less money in, in longer years when you factor in the, the, the opt-outs that Witt has afforded him. So I feel like we're getting better at this. You know what I mean? Like the Witt Jr. contract, if you just take all the options away from it, that's seven for 150 is a nice truncated way to buy out arbitration, buy out a couple years of free agency for the team's sake. And then I'm 29. I got full control. I can do what I need to do. And and by the way, he also got a full no trade clause, something none of the players you just mentioned got. So yeah. So I I feel like we're getting better at this every single time the next one comes forward. And and that's a really good trend because if baseball is going to be a young man's game and for the better part of a decade, it has been, we cannot have the best players in baseball making $700,000 a year. It's just not a good look, right? It, it's, it looks like you're pinching pennies and everybody in the world knows these are billionaires doing it. So is this a new era in baseball then? If this has been the trend the last couple of years and we see the Royals getting in to this, to this business, do you feel safe in saying that? The Pirates started doing it. The Arizona Diamondbacks started doing it. Now the Royals are doing it. When Baltimore officially does it and they're going to do it, <laughs> 
we will officially be able to surface this conversation and say, all right, this is now, not only is it a young man's game, it's a young man's, it's a well-paid young man's game, right? With the, the arbitration contracts are officially here to stay. So like I said, I think they're getting better and better. And I expect at least two Baltimore Orioles over the next, I guess, two off seasons to find this kind of money. And then we'll, we'll, we'll know for sure that this thing's for real. Yeah, you, well, you can't let Adley Rutschman out the door. So, yeah, I'm thinking that's that's going to happen and new ownership and all of that. So the Super Bowl is this coming weekend. Uh, is this a game that is the, I mean, it might be the best example of the two prototypical ways of building a roster that can compete for a Super Bowl where you have build around the quarterback and then build around the cheap quarterback. Is that, <laughs> right, right. that an accurate statement? Yeah, build around the the all-pro, all-world, Hall of Fame, high-paid quarterback, and then find a diamond in the rough quarterback and build the rest of the ro- rest of the roster completely around that nugget. Um, I just ran the numbers this morning, actually. I'm about to post an article that really does a, a deep-dive comparison in the positional spending and what these starting lineups look like financially and you know notable extension candidates and all that stuff. So that's coming live on spotrit.com probably by the time you've, you're hearing this. But... Um, it's really just an inside out process. And and I feel like I'm a broken record every single February when I sit down to evaluate these last two teams, but I realize, you know, it's a passing world and it's, you know, the quarterback is, is the, uh, you know, the single figure on these teams and the running game is being devalued, et cetera. If you haven't spent money on an offensive line or a defensive line, you're just not going to be here. Okay. (laughs) And both of these teams have spent significant amount of money. I mean, the Niners have the number one paid defensive line, as you can probably guess, right? Um, You know, you know, the offensive line for the Chiefs is now top 10. And, you know, it's going to be even more expensive when when you take in some of the depth pieces they've had to add for players like Tony, who've been injured for a, a bunch of weeks here. You know they pay they pay tight ends well. That's the trend we're starting to see. I think Brock Bowers might be a top five pick this year in the draft. So that's not going away. And you know they, they've instead of paying one gigantic wide receiver now Debo's more of a gadget player. So I'm going to leave him a little bit out of this. But in Debo's contract is not top of the market. They've decided we're going to pay six weapons instead of paying one guy and then backfilling it with six round picks. So I, I don't have a problem with how any of this this is going. You know, and you're like you said, two very different quarterback situations. But this is just how it's going to be. You know, you're not you you cannot plan for Brock Purdy <laughs> if you're a if you're a current GM trying to build a Super Bowl roster. That's just not how things work in this world. So if you end up with a Brock Purdy, then you react to it. You know, and then you start doing what they did at the deadline with Chase Youngs and things like that. But the the, the way the Chiefs model is is probably the model that most of these teams, Buffalo, Baltimore, etc., are going to have to do. Which is decide how you're gonna how you're gonna handle Patrick Mahomes' cap hits on an annual basis, and just decide which players, when they come sitting down for their asking price, are ultimately gonna be worth it. And we're gonna see version three of that again this year with Chris Jones, who is worth every bit of a top of the market defensive line contract. And I just said it's probably the most important position to pay right now in terms of getting to this finish line, but they're gonna have to make that decision yet again. So it's an, it's another fascinating year-by-year scenario that the Chiefs just keep pushing the right buttons, I guess. So then if there are other GMs around the NFL that sit down and they look at these two teams and are like, this is where I want to be, so let me study how they got here, uh, how they structured their roster. They're not really looking at San Francisco as a template because they won the proverbial lottery. You're right. It's like you can't plan for that. That would be like me 
putting me winning the lottery into my budget plan for the month. You you can't bank on that. So, no. so other GMs look at that and go, good for them, but I can't model my team off of that. I feel like there are small markets who have tried to do that, right? They just refuse to actually go for the big, you know, the trade up for the big quarterback. Yeah, I guess the Bears to some degree have been this before the Justin Fields situation. Uh, just nickel and dime on the whole process to try to find that, uh, you know. I, by the way, I would say the Cowboys have done this, right? The, when's the last time the Cowboys ran a first round quarterback out there? Can you think of it? I can't. Romo was undrafted. Dak Prescott's a fourth rounder. Now they've got Trey Lance on the roster, so maybe they're thinking about doing that in the future. But it might be uh, Aikman. You might yeah. have to go back to Troy yeah. Aikman. Yeah. So it's there are teams that have tried to do this and, and refuse to pay the price that it takes to get the top quarterbacks. I don't have the stat in front of me. I think the I think of all the starting quarterbacks in the in the Super Bowls, I believe it's like sixty to seventy percent of them were first round picks. So again, Brock Purdy is not the model. Okay, Patrick Mahomes is the model. Uh, now he's the unicorn of the model, but that that structure, that going that way to build your roster, is the right way. I will I will say one thing though. Um, the fact that Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith, sat behind an offensive line that was pre-built, sat behind you know a defense that was up and coming. To me, that's everything, you know, and that is what the Niners have done here, right? The Niners have built a football team and then dropped a quarterback into it for the better part of eight years. Alex Smith, Jimmy Garoppolo, Brock Purdy. There is something to that. There is something to being so good in the trenches, in the secondary, with the weapons that just any semblance of a, you know, whatever you want to call them, game manager can work. I just don't think that teams have the aptitude to do that. For the most part, you know, that's not this the way. It's not I a think. league built on patience. It's that's, just, that's it's exactly really- right. That's exactly right. And by the way, and I'll give him credit after kind of slamming them, Jerry Jones did do it this way. He, the, 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 the offset, the compromise to not going buck wild to get a first round quarterback was we're going to spend a hundred million dollars and four first round picks on offensive linemen so that we don't have to worry about how quick the release is of our quarterback. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. all the analytics in the combine that matter. That's so I get looked so good from day one. That's right. That's right. And Romo. And that's why Romo was able to do what he was able to do. Right. So yeah. And Jordan are, Love fits the bill of what you're saying right now too. look at how he's, that's exactly right. On. That's exactly right. So it's just so, hard. It's it, it is. It's great when you can pull that off, but you have to have Tony Romo, Alex Smith, or Aaron yeah. Rodgers as your starting quarterback in order to do it. Because if you don't, then it, yeah. this just everybody's seat gets so hot so fast. It's impossible not to look down the uh, look down the sideline and go. Maybe we put the backup in. But if you're a, if you're a fan base right now, you know. I, it, the fan bases have become so educated. They just have in all this stuff, you know, because of the numbers and the analytics and everything that's being kind of shoved down our throats. Now, I don't know. Don't we all kind of understand if, if a team is actually ready for a quarterback or not? You know what I mean? Like, like there are certain teams right now, they're going to take a quarterback and I'd put the commanders as one of them. I love a lot about the commanders, but I don't know that I love enough to put, any kind of top three quarterback in this situation and have him starting week one. So I, that stuff worries me. Right. So, so to say that the, the, the model isn't to go and have Brock Purdy in the seventh round and, and try to find the next version of that. If you're a team that is really great in every regard and you just need that one guy, I guess what I'm saying is maybe that team specifically doesn't have to go 
and spend $45 million on Kirk Cousins this year. You know what I mean? Maybe they can yeah. go back and try to find a third round pick this year and make it work. And that would be similar to what the 49ers have done really for a full decade now. You do have examples like CJ Stroud and Joe Burrow just immediately yeah, changing flash life. frying success. And yep. I, I think that becomes uh, the most addicting or appealing ideal. Wait, uh, I'll say it quickly. I'll say it quickly, though. Houston was boring as hell for three years, Brandon. Building up that offensive line, acquiring Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard, et cetera, et cetera. They, they did it kind of the right way. Nick Casario knows what he's doing. You know I don't I mean? know. I, I think they were forced into that, though. The Deshaun Watson situation, they, had, they were building around a quarterback, and then things went south with that quarterback it's contractually. Fair. And then, so yeah, it was the, like, they the did, they did that, but the, I don't know that that was the actual plan. <laughs> I, I, I do think they've taken a few off seasons off. Let's put it that way. And, and not for tanking purposes, right? To kind of cleanse and understand what was important, because I do think the Bill O'Brien era really damaged the, the construction plan for that roster. Let's put it that way. Let's wrap with our quick hits today. You mentioned arbitration a little bit ago. Vlad Guerrero Jr. won his arbitration case, $19.9 million. He doesn't become a free agent until after the 2025 season, I believe. But are those conversations going to happen now or do they just sit on the 19 million he's getting paid this season? It's fascinating, right? Because the the second you get into that expiration year, basically all the value comes out of them. Uh, we've seen it so many times now, Mookie Betts, et cetera, you know, even Shohei to some degree. Bryce Harper didn't even get moved because they basically just couldn't get the bang for buck out of it. He didn't have the greatest 2020, 2022 season, 2023 season. So um, I think, and there's been a bit of a decline now for three straight years. So I'm not sure that, you know, the $30 million player that he's been, at least coming into the league and storming into the league, is still on the table, which leads me to believe that he's probably not signing a deal right now. Now he's not a Boris client, so he's got that going for him. Toronto has that going for them. There's a world where they actually may sit down and be able to talk right now. Um, but to me, if it's not happening now, it's not going to happen until free agency. That's generally what's going to happen with most of these superstar sluggers. And by the way, with first basemen who are being devalued uh, kind of heavily because it's becoming the position where really good outfielders and middle infielders, et cetera, go to die right when they can't play defense anymore. So it's becoming like a second DH and you're not going to see a lot of teams spending two fifty, three hundred million $300 million on superstar first baseman when they can just plug and play a $9 million DH there for most of the regular season. So it's something to watch with Pete Alonso and, uh, and Vlad Jr. going forward. It offends me personally. I played first base growing up. Baseball was my sport of choice, uh, but I was slow, and that was the reason <laughs> I think I was parked there. Good defensive player, but you didn't want me running around. That's not going to help the team. Uh, Nick Saban took a job as uh, a college game day analyst. Is that a good fit, bad fit? Is it just weird because he's not going to be patrolling the sidelines next season? Yeah, it'll be weird. Uh, I think he'll be pretty good at this stuff. I expect Belichick to do something like this, don't you? Uh, they kind of cut from the same cloth. Just brilliant people. You know, We'll see if they can translate to the TV stuff a little bit. I think Saban's done some hits with ESPN in the past, so this might be kind of a natural transition, but um, I don't know. Do you think he's done done? I don't know. I I get the sense that he is. I, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know where you're going to go where yeah. you've got a better situation than what he had built for himself at Alabama. 
Something yeah. tells me that he's just, yeah, he's legitimately done. And the fact that he's willing to take this TV job, um, I mean, we've seen guys jump back in. I wouldn't be floored, but, you know, he's 70 plus at this point. He's yeah. had all the success in the world. Um, I yeah. don't, I can't, I can picture it with Saban because I think Saban's had more, he's been more open to media availability than Belichick has. And Belichick is so cold. Mm-hmm. At least Saban would come to the uh, a press conference with like a, a planned attack of a message that he was trying to send. Belichick just acted like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world. Um, so we'll see if, uh, if he ends up going down that same road. Brock Bowers. Yeah. So he made the rounds during Super Bowl radio row media days and all of that. He was asked by Mike Florio who he wants to be drafted by being the nice guy that he is. He actually answered the question. <laughs> Incredible, Usually, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that never happens. You just, I'm just happy with whoever takes me. He said the Tennessee Titans and, yeah. and he used the proximity to Georgia as a reason why they pick seventh in the first round. So it is possible do you mm-hmm. think he makes it that far? I would say yes. I would say yes, only because of how dominant the quarterback situation is going to be at the top. And generally when we don't have that is when we see some things slip down. I mean, he's not going before Marvin Harrison, you know, so who's going to be the first non-quarterback in my opinion. And the only way he slips past five or six, uh, because I do think him in that uh, in that Chargers offense with just I know you had him earmarked for LA so oh. that's why I was curious I, I can tell you right now uh, Saquon Barkley and Brock Bowers joining that offense is one of my bigger uh, you know need to seize this coming offseason and I really haven't dove in quite yet so um, I, the only way to, he slips is if those teams that we're talking about here decide we have to be boring and we have to take the Notre Dame tackle it's you know the Penn State tackle and I'm all for it. Right? If plan one of fixing Justin Herbert is we got to fix this freaking line. Heck yes. So I, I get it. But otherwise, I, I don't know. Outside of that injury, which I'd certainly need some medicals on. I would love to see this kid be an actual NFL tight end version of Kyle Pitts. Right. Yeah, like an actual productive player. Yeah, uh, We'll leave it there. Remember, NBA trade deadline day, all the info you need at SpotTrack.com. Also a reminder out there, if you're looking for podcast help, commercial production, I can be your guy there, AuthenticAudioPro.com for more details. Mike, always a pleasure. It's a busy time over at SpotTrack.com, but uh, you guys deliver unlike anybody else. Till next time. <laughs>